we are going to open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The um, sermon is called Built to Last, part 1, because we're entering a three-part sermon stretch where we are learning what the early church was made of. Hey, do you want to build a weak, flimsy church that's going to be knocked over by the smallest thing, that's super shallow? Do you want to build that kind of church? No. No. Do you want to build a strong church that can, you know, see, that can see us through the storms of life? And do you want to know what the early church was built of that made it last? Well, I want to know that. I've got a, a tool bag, you know, that, I, that I've got up in my office in case things need to be fixed or whatever. And, you know, when you build things, you've got a lot of decisions to make. You've got to make sure you use the right tool. And you have to make sure that you use the right building material. So, You know, if we said we were going to get to work building something strong that we wanted to last 2,000 years, all right, I'm not going to pull out the magic scotch tape, okay? I'm not going to say, let's take a few Kleenex and, and glue them to a few napkins and see how long it takes for this thing to just go up in flames. You know, we're going to get, we're going to get the bricks out and we are going to build with things that are going to last, So the Bible uses this imagery of building materials to challenge and motivate us to be very careful what we are becoming as a church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 12 to 13, it says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. It's the Apostle Paul. Someone else is building upon it. That's not us. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, now these would represent the good building materials that are precious, worth a lot, durable. Then he says, wood, hay, straw. This represents the things that are not going to last as long, not as precious or valuable. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day in the end of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This is a challenge to us, to see what the early church was made of, what God was building into them, to invite him to build those precious, strong, eternal things into our community as well. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Jesus, we want to be built strong We want you to show us what the early church was made of. Help us to take care how we build. That means each one of us, what we bring into the church, what we build around us and what we become. Help us to take care that it's not wood, hay, and straw that will be burned up in the end, but precious materials, strong, durable. We pray that you would give us insight to know what this means in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in Acts chapter 2. Now, this sermon is called Built to Last Part 1. Guess what? This is a six-point sermon. But we're only going to get to two points this week, so today it'll be number one, number two. You got to come back next week because it's number three and number four. Then you're going to show up the third week and it's going to be number five and number six. Poor people who show up, they're sleeping in today, you know, they're going to show up, they're going to be like, why does it say point five? They're going to be very confused. This is a three-part series. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we just came out of Pentecost. 3,000 people just got saved. 
They have a major discipleship opportunity here. It says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is the ideal early church. This is this is what they were becoming. 3,000, most of them newly converts, getting together, and what are they doing? That's what we're learning today. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to certain things. This means that they were, as it says in verse 46, day by day. These were daily habits, routines, rhythms that they built into their lives. And there was this combination of meeting in houses and also meeting in large groups in the temple area. Here's a picture of the temple area. They were still involved in temple life, and so that, that was a way that they could show that they are the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. They'd still go there. They'd still participate, you know, a couple prayers a day. But there would be these areas, if you can see on the outside, where larger groups could gather, and they would gather out there. This is exactly what it would have looked like where the early church would have gotten together for some of their larger gatherings. And then they would have broken up into houses, enjoyed fellowship. So what are these essentials? What are these, what are these pillars, these core uh, things that they were devoted to. The first one you can jot down is this. We must proclaim God's word without apology. We must proclaim God's word without apology. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We must proclaim God's word without apology. Hey, 3,000 people, guess what? They had zero copies of the New Testament that they couldn't go online and order a New Testament. They, they didn't have written Bibles yet. They had the apostles' teaching, and they had to devote themselves to it. Jesus told the, the uh, apostles in the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching God's Word is a fundamental building block of the early church. This is what they were made of. So we have to ask ourselves, are we devoted to the authoritative teaching of God's word as a church? That's what we have to be, build with. That's what we have to build with or we won't be built strong. Now, there are countless churches out there today to choose from. Some of them don't teach God's word. Some of them have gotten off of the foundation of God's word and they teach other things. Sometimes they just kind of want to keep it light. They don't really want to go super deep. They just want to keep it really, like, light. And, and, you know, they might be a little apologetic when they even mention the Bible. I heard recently that McDonald's started offering adult Happy Meals. Have you heard this? Adult Happy Meals, because you want to go to McDonald's, but you kind of want to feel like a child again. So you get your meal. Here's a picture. They featured this on, like, the Today Show or something. And so you get your, I'm loving it box and your toy and your little fries, and you feel like a kid again. Sometimes this is what people get at church. It's just like an adult Happy Meal. It's light, it's short, it's not very filling, and we have to do better than that. 
we go verse by verse, typically, through a book of the Bible. It's unavoidable that you're going to go deep when you go verse by verse through Romans or Ephesians. There's going to be those times where God's Word challenges us, and that's why our Bibles are open every Sunday, and I would encourage you to have a Bible open every Sunday as well. We want more than a happy meal. We want God's Word preached without apology. That's what we want, and that's what the early church wanted. There is a great hunger for God's Word, actually among young people as well. There was a study recently that was done through megachurches that had started off by preaching more of a lighter message aimed for the seekers, and they changed their method because the younger people responded better to deeper. People want hunger for God's Word. So we must proclaim God's Word without apology. Jot this down. We must stand firm on sound doctrine. We must stand firm on sound doctrine. Now, let me ask you a question. This is our belief that this is God's word handed down from the apostles. It's the authoritative word of God. Is that something that you could defend? You know, if you said, I go to a church where we preach and believe that that God's word is from heaven, and people are like, you still believe all of that dark ages mythology? Do you know what to say? Could you defend the truth that the Bible is God's word and we should treat it as God's word still today? What if somebody said to you, it's outdated, it's written by bigots, it's so yesterday, we've come so far, why are you still following that old mythical book? What would you say? Why would we build our church on this idea that the Bible is God's word? Where could you go in the Bible to show people what it claims to be. Let me give you a few verses here. You might want to write these down. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 13. Here's what Paul said about his own writings. He said, these things, what does it say? I want you to help me here. These things, go ahead and say it. All right, thank you. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by who? The Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is not a book of men's thoughts. This is a book of God's wisdom. Paul knew that. What did Peter know? 2 Peter 3, 1-2. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior, that's Jesus, through your who? Through your who? So the apostles were speaking on the behalf of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, What they were saying was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets who also had the authority to write biblical books. In verse 16, it goes on to say this. Peter's talking about Paul. Ignorant and unstable people twist Paul's words as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now look, if we're out at lunch and you twist my words, okay, you're not going to go to hell for it. If you twist the Bible, you will. If you don't believe sound doctrine about Jesus Christ, and what Peter is saying here is those who were distorting and twisting Paul's words were doing that to other scriptures too. And listen, it was to their own destruction. So the apostles were very aware that they were speaking on behalf of God and what they were writing bore the authority of heaven. We therefore should stand firm 
on sound doctrine. We should also watch out for churches that teach false doctrine, meaning they've moved on from the Bible or added a few things, or they know better than what Paul said. Watch out! We should watch out for churches that water down the truth and make an apology and there's not really a Bible up front and the verse just kind of flashes on and goes away. Why are you apologizing? Why are you apologizing? What are you so ashamed of? And we should watch out for those who flat out deny that this is God's word. Well, you know, I mean, there's things in it that are helpful, but it's not God's word. I mean, come on, please. These were just people, right? Watch out for those who deny the authority of this book. We must stand firm on sound doctrine. Jot this down. We must learn to think, feel, and decide based on God's word. Think, feel, and decide based on God's word. This is now a bit of a topical treatment of this idea of preaching and learning God's word. In other words, we're not told in this verse what they did with God's Word when they met, but it's clear throughout the book of Acts, the New Testament, the Old Testament, what preaching looked like, sounded like, and how people were to respond. Drawing from that, we have to learn to think, feel, and decide based on God's Word. So a good question to ask, you know, a lot of people here, you're not going to be here forever. You might move, you know, or maybe you're just in town right now, and maybe you're, you're going to be looking for a church, you are looking for a church somewhere outside of here. Good question to ask is, what should I look for in a sermon? Like, what should a biblical sermon include? Uh, I, I lead a dynamic preaching cohort through the GCC. I've taken 30 guys through learning how to preach. And we ask ourselves, what belongs in a biblical healthy sermon? And we look into God's Word to find out. i got a picture here of my cohort this year. It's really awesome. I've got some old friends from Romania. Um, got a couple guys from the states. It's really been awesome as we just each week we're like, hey, we need to grow as communicators of God's word uh, and, and we challenge each other. So what do we talk about? Well, what we talk about is three primary ingredients in the sermon. Thinking, feeling, and doing. So we have to learn to think. That's the truth. That's the doctrine. That's the things we must believe. We have to learn to think. And we want to go deeper in learning. We want to go deeper in learning how God's Word forms our mind. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. So therefore, we have to love what is true. We have to learn about the nature of God, who Christ is, what salvation is all about, creation, how did it happen, and what's going to happen one minute after we die? What is hell like? We never, ever, ever graduate from learning more about God's Word. So a biblical sermon has to include sound teaching, what we think about God, about ourselves, about our world. We have to learn what we think. We also have to learn how to feel based on God's Word. Our hearts have to be formed and shaped. Our emotions have to learn to take on the contours of Christ. Uh, we have to understand and empathize with people's struggles. Jesus was a man of sorrow. Sorrow. He wasn't just a man of Bible knowledge. He empathized and loved. And in fact, isn't the scripture clear? What does the Bible say? The greatest is love. In fact, if I do not love, what am I? I'm nothing according to the Bible. Even if I have all knowledge, if it's not creating a more loving heart, it's nothing. 
So we have to learn about relationships and how we feel about God and ourselves and others. David was a man after God's own heart. God's own heart. You might prefer a truth encounter because you're a thinker and you want to go deeper and you want to learn things and that's wonderful. You should come to church for more than that. God, make me more loving today. God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. God, soften me up. God, show me who I'm missing. For my heart. That's what you should want. Maybe you are a truth person and you kind of know it. So my daughter Ellie's kind of a truth person, first child. She, the first time she got to babysit Jared, our, our third child, Jared thought, hey, look, this is great. The parents are gone. So Jared said, Ellie, can we say swear words? And Ellie looks at him and goes, no, you'll go to hell. And that was it. End of story. No, you'll go to hell. Very truth answer. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a bam, hit him with the truth. Hey, loving the truth is awesome. And if you're a truth person, God loves that about you. Please don't just come to church to grow your mind, right? Don't just come to church to get more facts. Don't just come to church to figure out, well, what two new things can I learn about the Bible? That's not enough. That's not enough. God has so much more for you than that, than just more facts, more Bible jeopardy, right? What does knowledge do according to Scripture? Knowledge puffs up. (laughs) What does love do? It builds up. Learn to think. Learn to feel. To care deeply. And learn to take action. To do the right thing. We want to make a difference in the world. What does James say? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. You just walk out. I learned three new things today. What are you going to do differently? Nothing. Uh Uh-oh. You're like a person looking in the mirror and you got like food all over your face and you're like, looking good. And you change nothing. You know, we, we come into the Bible to change, right? We come into the Bible to change. Some of the best theologians know this. I think it was Karl Barth who said, theology is an act of humble repentance. I mean, the more I learn, the more I'm in trouble. (laughs) Oh, that's what's true about God. Whoops, I messed that one up too. I've got to change course based on what I'm learning. So ask yourself this. Honestly, which of these are you most inclined toward? Like, I just want to learn to do the right thing and to take action. We need to get out there and make things happen. Or are you like, man, I just need help. I just need, I'm struggling with anxiety. I want to come and feel filled up. I want to feel like people love me. Or are you like, give me the truth. Like, don't water it down. I just want to learn more. I would just say, come for all three. Because scripturally, that's what we find happening. God wants to form your mind and your heart and your will. Don't just come for one. A good sermon should include all three. We must learn to think, to feel, and decide based on God's word. Jot this down. Are you humble and hungry or haughty and unteachable? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted. You know, a lot of these people, you know, maybe they saw Jesus a little bit when he was there and they heard the things, but now suddenly these guys were up teaching, saying, hey, we are apostles. We have authority from heaven, and you have to listen to what we're saying. That took humility to put themselves under the authority of these leaders. And it takes humility to say, I'm going to come, and I'm going to be devoted to the teaching in the church. 
Uh, it, it takes uh, a humble spirit. It takes a submissive attitude. It takes big ears to come and listen each week. I kind of joked with Gary this morning. They, they were on our launch team. So going on over 13 years now, I walked up, shook his hand today. I said, aren't you sick of me yet? <laughs> I mean, this endurance, man. This has been so exciting. You've got to come humble and hungry, not haughty and unteachable. That begins with me. begins with me when I open God's word. You know, I start with a blank sheet of paper. You know, some, somebody once asked me, do you get your sermons online? And I'm like, oh, no. No, no, no. Start from scratch every week. Me and Jesus in the Bible. Got, uh, got, got my computer out, and it's me in the text. Humbly I say, how did, what does it say? How did it apply to they, them? What are the theological principles here? And how does it point to Jesus? Because all Scripture does. And then how does it apply to our world today? It's kind of the four stops right on the journey. Humbly, I have to be taught. I have to encounter God's word through his spirit. Then I come up here, and even right now, I'm encountering God's word through his spirit. You're kind of watching it happen while I'm helping you to encounter God in his word through his spirit. That's what's supposed to happen. So I'm humble and hungry. Lord willing, you're coming humble and hungry, wanting to grow, and then we learn together. But often pride really can, can grow in and harden the heart. You know what pride does when it comes to preaching? It shrinks the ears. It shrinks the ears. You might want to just reach up right now and go ahead, just reach up and go like this. How are your ears? Are they getting bigger? Are they getting bigger? Come on. Are they getting bigger? Are you more receptive to God's word now than you were five years ago? or less. Because there's this syndrome. I call it the shrinking ear syndrome. Small ears. Big problem in the church. We all suffer from it. Shrinking ear syndrome. And uh, it's the kind of, I already know this, right? So I'm not listening because my ears are getting smaller. A young man early in our church life, we went out for coffee, and he literally said to me, well, I know the Bible better than you do. Okay, (laughs) hadn't been to seminary. I just kind of laughed it off. Um, Usually people don't say that. Pretty bold move, right? Uh, If he comes to church with those ears, is he going to learn much? I could do a better job up there than you. Shrinking ear syndrome. Shrinking ear syndrome. Um, We've got to caution ourselves against becoming Bible connoisseurs. You know, I I can only really appreciate a message by K. Arthur. Or John MacArthur, oh, that's the good stuff. That's the vintage stuff. Shrinking ears. Shrinking ears. We're very picky about what or who we will listen to. Love those marquee names. They really get through to me. And people don't often hear themselves say these things, and they don't check what's going on. But very often, I'll see shrinking ear syndrome. It can happen with new Christians. After just a few years, they feel like they've learned it all, or... They're now on guard. The world's going to be up to them, and they're going to be the one. Whoa, 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 shrinking ears. And the older we get in the faith, the more we're likely to talk rather than listen. We're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but the older we get, shrinking ear syndrome, and we're tempted to not listen like we used to. Uh, Honestly, the older we get in the faith, the bigger our ears. We just should have jumbo ears by the time we've been in the faith 15, 20 years ready to hear from whoever as long as it's God's word. Are you humble and hungry? 
Are you haughty and unteachable? Psalm 46, it's a really great graphic thing. It says in Psalm 46, ears you have dug for me. I like that idea of God digging ears out for you. Dig it, dig it. It's a prayer. Ears dig for me, right? Maybe that's your prayer. Hey, if we want to be built tough, we have to be humble and hungry, not haughty and unteachable. Biblical instruction together is essential to understanding and enjoying the Christian life. So number one, we must proclaim God's word without apology. Stand firm on sound doctrine. Learn to think, feel, and decide based on God's word. And then be humble and hungry, not haughty and unteachable. Let's be devoted to that. Now let's go on to number two. Only a two-point sermon today. Number two, we must believe firmly in the power of prayer. It says in 40, verse 42b, and the prayers. Devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were devoted to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Whoa, prayers were being answered. So we have to preach the gospel, preach the word of God, and we have to pray together. This is an essential pillar of understanding. So if you write it down, we must believe firmly in the power of prayer. The prayers could mean, you know, they go to the temple a couple times a day. The, the prayers, meaning participating in the communal prayers. There could have also been early prayers written by the apostles. Uh, there, there was evidence throughout the New Testament of actual songs, prayers that were written as, as like early creeds that they would pray together. But the prayers, and I don't know what your background on prayer is, but I want you to just take a second right now and do a self-assessment. Where is your prayer life right now? And, and kind of where has it been? So I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so, you know, everything was kind of scripted. You'd, you'd pray what you were told to pray. It was just there, you know, and it was precise. And there's like books full of prayer. You know, like you'd, you'd do your communion, you'd do your confirmation, you'd, you'd get a missile. How many of you got the missile growing up? You get your missile, right? Not out. I mean, just like, it's a book. Okay, Catholic thing. You'd get your missile, and you'd know how to pray, because there were, there were prayer books, right? But it often was too formal. It wasn't personal. It wasn't heartfelt. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame. That, that's, that's kind of how I experienced it. Maybe for you, that's kind of your background. Maybe not. Maybe you had a great mentoring in your home growing up. Maybe you learned to pray, you know? Maybe right now, you don't even feel, a guy once confided in me, he said, I don't even feel confident leading my family in prayer before dinner. I've just never learned to pray. Maybe you're kind of a beginner. Here's a list of a bunch of describing words, and take a look and ask yourself, what words describe your prayer life right now? This isn't meant to make you feel bad. This is just meant to ask to, for you to assess yourself on where you're at right now. Is your, are your prayers fervent or fruitful, shallow, humble, despairing? sleepy? Do you feel insecure? Uh, are they, are they kind of dull, short, and formal? Or sincere and biblical and urgent? Above all, are they loving? Maybe you want to jot down a few words in your bulletin right now that would honestly describe where your prayer life is right now. Maybe, honestly, your prayer life is just dead. It's just you're not doing it. Well, let's figure out as a church how we can build on fervent prayer together. 
you're right to feel insecure about your prayer life, that's actually going to help you. Tim Keller said this, prayer both requires and produces humility. It requires it and it produces it. It's okay to feel humble when you're learning to pray. Jot this down, what or who are you praying for? What or who are you praying for? One of the most helpful things that I kind of developed was when we were going through the prayer life of Jesus, and he would say things that didn't seem to go together. He would almost make it sound like you can ask for anything, and you better believe that you have it. But then he would himself say, not my will, but yours be done. And I would ask myself, how do all these things go together? Which is it? Am I going to get the prayer or am I not going to get the prayer? Here's what I, what I call the prayer gears, and each one of these gears needs to be installed and spinning in your prayer life for it to be a biblical model of prayer. It begins with boldness. You're asking big things of a big God. Mountains to be moved. You're not asking puny, small, faithless. You're, at, you're asking great things of a great God. Then confidence. You're believing you have a yes until you learn otherwise. People get confused about the confidence thing. Uh, couple of errors there. Your confidence doesn't make your prayers come true. Okay, it's not however confident you are that guarantees how many prayers you get. Okay, that's not it. That's called name it, claim it. It's not you that generates the power. It's God. But if you're a double-minded, you're not going to get anything. So people get this confused. You're supposed to believe you have a yes. It's, it's a waiting gear until you learn otherwise. Humility means not my will, but yours be done. You can already see how if people think boldness and confidence aren't really called for, they'll just run right to the humility gear. Oh God, just do whatever you want, because whatever you want is what I want. Yeah, but you didn't ask anything bold. Oh, but why would I ask anything other than what God wants? That's super humble, but it's not super bold. And therefore, listen, it's unbiblical. You see that? Because you're missing the first two gears. You ask boldly, you ask confidently, you ask humbly, and you ask lovingly. Uh, it, we're cautioned in Scripture that a husband who's not treating his wife right, his prayers are hindered. Or loving, meaning you're not even praying for other people. You're just praying for yourself, that you might spend everything on your passions. Loving and persistent, ask, seek, knock, the parable of the persistent widow, you just never stop. Now, I'm sure one or a couple of those gears have fallen out of your prayer life. And I would just ask you to go and pick them up and clunk, get them back in, and start them turning this week. Boldly, confidently, humbly, lovingly, persistently pray, and then you have a biblically assembled prayer life. We need men who are learning to pray for their families, their jobs, their nation. We need women who are willing to pray without ceasing through all of the changing seasons of life. We need to teach our children and teenagers to pray. We need to pray for each other one of the highlights of my month is the men's prayer breakfast. I love our men's prayer breakfast. Things are fervent when we get together as men the first Saturday of the month and pray. We prayed extra fervently when the kitchen caught fire and almost burned the church down. There was a grease fire in the kitchen. And uh, preview of Hades, that got us really on our knees. Sometimes, like we brought Pastor Alex in last time, got him on the screen, and we prayed for him right there. We have to pray. What, who are you praying for? You know, I'm here in part because people prayed for me. I was not saved when I was in high school. 
and I knew Christians. I made it all four years through Amos Alonzo Stag High School. Didn't go to a youth group once. Uh, wasn't saved. And there was one girl in particular, her name was Terry, and she, we, were, we were alto saxophone players. And I kind of made fun of her a lot. And so I was like the bane of her existence. Um, and she, uh, so what happened was I got saved in college, and then I became a pastor, and then I was going out to plant a church. So I went down to New Lenox. There was a partner church down there. And uh, I, I was preaching in, in New Lenox, and, um, and Terry was there because she was blown away that I had become a pastor. She learned about it at our 10th high school reunion. She screamed. She goes, ah! You're a pastor? And then she came to this church, saw me preach, and she just kind of sat there crying. She told me later, here's the text that she sent me. She said she had gone to church when she was a Christian back when we were in high school. She said, the pastor said, pick two people that you think would benefit from knowing Jesus and believe for a miracle. She told me you were one of the two people I picked. The other was my cousin, Lee. The next time I saw you, you were both preachers. Praise God. Wow. She was praying for me. She said that. She said, I prayed for you. It's unbelievable. She's part of what God did in my life. What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Jot this down. How fit is your prayer life? These are very practical things that will help you grow in prayer. How fit is your prayer life? If you want to grow in prayer, think about these four things. Frequency, intensity, time, and together. If you grow in any one of them, your prayer life will get better. Frequency just means to pray more often. Pray when you wake up. Pray before you take a road trip. Pray at mealtime. Just pray more often. Hey, let's pray now. Hey, let's pray now. Hey, let's stop right now and pray. Pray more often. Increase the frequency and you will increase your prayer life. We, we did a week of prayer for the first time. Our church has never done this before, but a month ago or so, we did, a week of, we did a week of prayer. And we met here at the building, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we prayed more. And I had, I had breakfast with a guy the next week, and he said, do you know what I've been praying for for our church? And I said, what? He said, I've been praying that we would pray more. He said, the week of prayer is an answer to my prayers. I'm like, that's so awesome. He was praying for prayer. And now we're praying more often as a church. Um, frequency, intensity. Intensity means you get loud. You get loud. Jesus did this. He was heard because of his loud cries. Now, why wouldn't a member of the Trinity just think it? Like, need food. Done. We've got Uber. Click, click, click. I get food. Why would Jesus, a member of the Trinity, need to raise his voice? Why? Because he was human and divine. And what humans are invited to do is to pray fervently, intensely, loudly. Maybe you're a quiet person. I don't care. Crank it up to three. Maybe you're a loud person. God loves that about you. You know, for me, it's when I'm the only one home, I'll go downstairs, and at times I will cry out to the Lord, freaks the dogs out. They don't know what's going on. Have you freaked your pets out with your prayer life? This week is going to be freak your pets out week with your prayer life, okay? Intensity. Pray more often, pray more intensely. Time, 
linger longer, so to just increase the time. So, you know, I, I was going to kneel down and pray for 10 minutes. Sometimes I'll set a timer, 30 minutes, boom, and I'll just pray 30 minutes. This is yours, Lord. Pray longer. You're just going to linger longer together. I love that about our chairman of the elders, Bob Powers. Sometimes we get to praying as elders, and, you know, you go around the circle, pray, 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 and then he just sends it around again, sends it around again, sends it around again. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Now you might struggle. Well, what am I going to say for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes? Open up to the Psalms. There's a great book we've recommended in the past called The Valley of Vision. You might want to write that down. Valley of Vision. It's a list of Puritan prayers. Okay, people are gifted at writing prayers and you can pray what they wrote. And you're like, wow, this sounds fantastic. Because <laughs> they're really good at what they write. Valley of Vision, Psalms. It's very practical. This is how we can pray for longer stretches of time. And then jot this down, together. Together. Frequency, more often. Intensity, more intensely. Time, I'm just going to sit here longer, and then I'm going to get around other people. Together. Easiest way to pray together is to get into a small group, get into a Bible study. Uh, we need each other. You, you come down front at the end of services. We have leaders who are up front to pray with you. Pray together. Pray together. There are times, this week I, I texted out a bunch of buddies. I'm just like, hey, I'm just, we got some big decisions coming up. I'm battling some anxiety. I just want you to pray with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. It made a difference. You've got to invite people in. So we've got to believe firmly in the power of prayer. What, who are you praying for? Are you get the gears going? How fit is your prayer life? Increase any one of these, frequency, intensity, time together, and your prayer life will go up. And then jot this down, what God stories can you share? What God stories can you share? It says here, all, come upon, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done. Whoa! All on every soul? God was answering prayer. Is God answering your prayer? You've got to be patient. Okay, you've got to be patient to see the results. So think True Green, okay? And if you have True Green, so we bought a house last year, moved just, you know, into Crestwood. Here's a picture of the yard when we first moved in. No grass. Okay, so I had to get to work. So planted the seeds and then had to water it and wait. Here's the next picture. And then it started to grow up, but I had to water it and wait. This is prayer. This is prayer. We got True Green as well. They came out fertilized. And here's the next picture. Finally, after a while, there was grass. And it was really amazing. And, and guess who loved the grass? Check it out. Here's uh, who really loved the grass. Cosmo loved the grass. Yeah. See the fence? He wasn't allowed out there because he kept digging. And then we finally Somebody likes the new grass. Yeah. Uh, think that. Think that. Don't give up. You're putting the seeds down. You're watering. You're fertilizing. You're just going to pray. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. And over time, you will have stories. Um, one last thing I would commend to you is Back in 2016, I started just taking one note card a year, leaving it on my desk, and I would write down things that got answered on the note card, right there. So every day, I could pick it up and remind myself of what God did. Very simple habit. Uh, now, now what I can do is I can stand up here, and I can tell you um, what God has done throughout the years. If I just even picked a a few things. In, 26, in 2017, we collected a $30,000 benevolence offering, and we sent a team down to Houston to help with hurricane cleanup. They woke up that morning not knowing they were going to go. They were on the road by evening. 
I remember that now because I wrote it down. 2018, we helped Pastor Alex launch his church. 120 people came to the first service. Pretty awesome, right? We did an outreach at Shepherd High School, dodgeball. 70 kids came out and some kids got saved. Pretty awesome. 2019, celebrated our 10th anniversary and our friend Yonika, who is a pastor in Romania, had a major liver problem. We prayed for him to be healed and he was healed miraculously. They can't explain how. I can give God glory for that because I wrote it down. My son Jared got baptized uh, back in 2019. GCC hired Dave Harvey, 2019. 2020, I, I wrote a black flag with a skeleton on 2020, you know, COVID year, to remember that it was a really, 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 really bad year. Pastor Mark, our worship leader, survived a heart attack. I mean, I wrote it down. It was plenty. I could, I could talk for a long time about each year. 2021, we, we had to finish our phase two offerings as a church after COVID, and we collected over 100% of what we needed, despite all the chaos that was going on in the world. Uh, that's just one of the things that God did that year. This year, 2022, we hired Pastor Stephen. Awesome to have you here, brother. We installed elders. We also commemorated a big milestone. Since we started the church, we've baptized over 300 people. I wrote it down to celebrate what God has done. It's awesome. Now look, what God stories can you share? It's just a simple thing you can do. Just one card, write it down, or you're going to forget. Now I could go back and tell you year after year. And this is just a very short list of what God has done. But do you have your God stories that you can share? All right. Well, we're going to close in prayer right now. And I'm going to read a quote over you. But let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And as we close out this sermon, I just want to commend to you the power of of prayer. Let's close our eyes right now. Let's bow our hearts. And I want to read a quote to you from John Chrysostom, an early church father. Here's what it says. The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire, bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stopped the sun in its course. Prayer is a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Oh Jesus, as we seek to build your church strong, godly, spirit-filled, we pray that you would teach us by your word every week. May we stand firmly on solid doctrine and lead us to pray. Lead us to from the moment we're saved when we cry out to you, Jesus, save us. Teach us to pray and answer our prayers with awesome wonders. We pray this in your name. Amen.